It's a Mailbag Monday. We've got your questions about a potential Corbin Burns trade, Angels infielder Levon Soto, and Mariners third baseman Tyler Locklear, and what to think when a prospect falls out of a top 100 list. Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked On MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. And today's episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started today. So as we do every single Monday, we are answering questions from listeners of the show. First question I want to get to uh, came from Uncle Ted Talks on YouTube. And it was in response to the Angels show that we did, uh, the, the, the preview last week. And he was asking if the Angels had the minor league talent needed to make a trade for Corbin Burns uh, and or fill some needs organizationally at the deadline. So obviously the, the, the scenario here with Corbin Burns is he went to arbitration with the Brewers and lost. The difference, he's getting $10 million. The difference was less than $1 million. And in his public comments after the arbitration hearing, uh, he explained that it was really handled poorly by the Brewers. The, the negotiators on behalf of the Brewers tried to, in essence, put the failure of the team to make the playoffs last year on him, like on him, on, directly on him, and make it a fault of his why he didn't make the postseason. And this kind of goes back to the arbitration process kind of sucks, right? You have to, if you are a team, and you do not come to an agreement, and you go to an arbitration hearing. You are in a scenario where you have to argue against your player getting paid. And there's two ways that you can, in essence, have this conversation. Option one, when you're having the conversation, is you can have the discussion about what the player deserves based on prior precedent. So if they want something significantly more then the established precedent in arbitration for a player with that amount of service and those stats, you can make that case. And as I understand, the uh, Max Fried went to arbitration for the second straight year with the Braves. He won 2022. He lost his 2023 arbitration hearing. And as I've kind of it's kind of been explained, uh, that is the scenario with the Braves. The Braves kind of showed here are the comparisons. Here's historically how much. Those salaries have grown from year to year, and that's why we argued this amount over the other. It was nothing against Max Freed. It was nothing personal, and he actually came out afterwards and said, yeah, no, it's fine. Like, they were not arguing against me. They were discussing precedent and how much salaries had changed in the past. He's perfectly fine. He says his relationship's great with the team. He'd be open to an extension. Corbin Burns, by comparison, the other way to argue it is that this player isn't good enough for the salary that they're asking. That negotiation tilted a lot more uh, personal than the Braves did with Max Fried and some of the other ones. And I just finished reading uh, Winning Fixes Everything, Evan Drellich's new book about the Astros cheating scandal. You're going to hear more about that this week. We have a conversation with Evan Drellich coming on the show. And he talked about in arbitration, the Astros front office 
under Jeff Lono tended to do that as well. Like in their, their arbitration hearings were very acrimonious. It was a lot of attacking the player and not necessarily looking at the precedent uh, and the previous deals that had been reached in arbitration. It was all about this player wasn't good enough. And he actually has an anecdote in the book about uh, waiting till the very last second in one of the hearings for a team to pull out uh, negative medical information against the player to kind of explain why they wanted to give him a lower salary because they didn't think he'd be healthy enough all the way through the next season. It's a really great read. You have to go check it out. Again, we'll have our conversation with Evan on the show this week. But specifically, the question was about uh, the Angels making a trade for Corbin Burns. I don't think the Angels would have what is needed to make this deal for a few reasons. One, you're looking... The reason to go out and get Corbin Burns is you're trying to compete in 2023, right? So by doing that, you immediately have to rule out moving big league pieces. You can't afford to send out a Taylor Ward or a Shohei Otani or anybody like that because you need them at the big league level for this team to make the playoffs in Shohei Otani's final year of contractual control. You don't want to take away from the big league team to add a piece to the big league team. doesn't make a lot of sense. And so a lot of the proposed trades you'll see, and a lot of people use baseball trade values for this, a lot of the deals that you'll see have them moving big league pieces, moving to Patrick Sandoval, moving to Taylor Ward, moving Reed Detmers, things like that. And you're not going to do that in a trade for a Corbin Burns if you're the Angels, because the goal here is you want to make the big league team better. You you don't make them better by subtracting pieces. And so if you make this deal, you're going to be trying to deal from positions of organizational strength. And when you look at what the Angels have in their system, and I can't, Prospects 1500 has a great system where they show you the top 50 prospects by tiers. You can easily kind of see it and look position-wise where all the top talent is. And Logan O'Hoppy, he's going to be the starting catcher this year, so I'm going to consider him a major league piece. Not going to be that one. Uh, You have a lot of starting pitching. You do have two catchers because you have Edgar Cuero who was in single A. So you do have extra catching depth if you want to deal from catching. The issue is the Brewers are pretty set at catching. They were part of the, they were the third team in the Braves, Oakland, Sean Murphy deal. And so they got Braves all-star catcher, William Contreras. He was an all-star at DH, mind you, but they got William Contreras. So they have Victor Carantini as the backup. They have William Contreras as the starter. He's 25 years old. He's in his second year of contractual control. So you've got him for a while. And this organization is known to be good at developing catchers defensively. So I'm not necessarily, like, there's no reason for them to go out and say, yes, give give us Edgar Cuero in a deal because you have multiple catching options in their own system They have catchers they like as well. And so uh, that's not going to happen. Obviously, the Brewers are great with the outfield. They have tons of outfield prospects. They're not going to make that deal. And I feel like even in the middle infield, uh, you have plenty of options for the Brewers like a Bryce Terang and things like that. So these two systems don't match up very well. The only way I could see a deal being done, and I don't foresee this being the actual case the way this happens but I think if there's a deal made between 
the Angels, and the Brewers for Corbin Burns. It's going to be centered around shortstop Zach Neto. Uh, it's something where Willie Adamas uh, is in arbitration. He's a little more expensive. If if Baltimore is tr- not Baltimore, if Milwaukee, if the Brewers are trying to save money and reduce payroll, then you're probably not going to re-sign him in free agency. I could see a scenario where you put up, you say, we want Zach Neto, because we think he could be our shortstop of the future. And then you go out and you ask for multiple pitchers. And there's a lot, we covered this last week in the show. You have Kai Bush, you have Jay Silseth, you have Sam Bachman, tons of minor league pitchers. They were all in double A last year. Silseth got some time in the bigs. And so could you theoretically create a package behind Neto and multiple top pitching prospects? I'm sure you could. It just doesn't feel very likely from the Angels' perspective to spend an entire draft class. 2021, you drafted nothing but catchers. I'm sorry, nothing but pitchers to turn around and trade a handful of the most promising pitchers from that class to get one guy for your big league team. Desperation makes teams do things, so you never know, but it just feels very unlikely. A team that I feel like kind of does make sense to eventually make a deal is the Dodgers. Uh, We've talked about this on the show before. Two weeks ago, we did the Dodgers preview. They have a ton of high-level talent. You have corner infielder Miguel Vargas. I could see him being one of the centerpieces of the deal, played in third, playing first. Um, And then they have a similar situation where Yes, you have catcher Diego Cartaya, who was kind of, I'm not going to say expendable, but since you have Will Smith for multiple years, uh, you could afford to part with him, but the Brewers seem to be settled at catcher with William Contreras. Second baseman Michael Bush is a very promising prospect, but Milwaukee has Bryce Terang, so you're just loading up on extra guys at that same position. But could you see a deal with Miguel Vargas as the centerpiece and then pick and choose some of these numerous Promising pitchers, probably one of the group of Ryan Pepio, Bobby Miller, Gavin Stone. And then behind that, another guy like a Emmett Sheehan or a Nick Nestrini, something like that. Could you see that deal? Potentially. Uh, still doesn't feel incredibly likely, but I think that's more likely than the Angels. I do think the Cardinals could match up pretty well with the Brewers, but obviously that's not going to happen. Uh, they're not going to trade him inside the division. I think the outcry would just be so insane. There's no way that front office would leave the ballpark alive. Uh, Speaking of trades, I did get somebody on YouTube betting me a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card that Jordan Walker of the Cardinals would be trade for Edward Cabrera of the Marlins. I don't think Jordan Walker's getting moved. And if he gets moved, it's going to be for an established guy versus somebody like an Edward Cabrera who has been up and down, had some issues. Uh, It's, it's, that's not going to happen. So Let's just move on from that. Jordan Walker is not on the trade block. In just a minute, we've got your questions about individual prospects that we didn't get to in some of these farm previews. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. The midway point of the NBA season is here, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Safe, secure, super easy to use. You can bet on everything from the money line, point scores, three points drained, things like that. All-Star Weekend just happened. They had all kind of fun, extra little props and things like that for All-Star Weekend. 
And then FanDuel lets you combine all of your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. So don't miss your chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets back when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sports book of the Locked On Podcast Network. Okay, so the, the, the person who asked the Corbin Burns to the Angels uh, question on YouTube, the middle-aged gamer is the profile. He also asked about Angel, Angels infielder Lavon Soto and kind of an update on him. So 2016 IFA by the Braves and then was released by the Braves when the international sanctions and things like that happened and signed with the Angels on the very first day he could sign. 5'11", 180, got 119 games in AA Rocket City and then 18 games at the Bigs last year. And I'm going to give you both stat lines because they're wide, wild, wildly different. So 119 games in AA, 281, 379, 362. So on base higher than the slugging. Six home runs, 24 extra base hits, 71 walks to 102 strikeouts, 18 to 26 on stolen bases. In the 18 games with Los Angeles at the major league level, 400, 414, 582. One home run, seven extra base hits, two walks to 13 strikeouts, and one to two on stolen bases. One of these things is not like the other. Um, Going into his call, his major league call up, Levon Soto's highest slugging percentage in the minors at any level for any length of time was what he had in double A Rocket City at a 362. Do I think that 400, 414, 582 is indicative of Levon Soto's talent level? Uh, unfortunately, not. That is, I feel like that is a small sample size and is not necessarily. Um, he's just, he's never hit for that kind of power in his career. Again, the highest slugging that he has ever had is 362. He has 384 games in the minors in his career, and he has 14 home runs. Seven in, 20, in, in, in 2021 in 91 games in high A, and six in 119 games in double A. Before that, he had one total. And that was in 2019 in low A. So the thing to know about Levon Soto is he is a plus defender at both short and second base. The reason that he got a call up and he will be able to have a major league career is he is so good defensively. He can play just about anywhere in the middle infield. The arm isn't great, so I'm not going to use him as a long-term guy at third base, but he can play short. He can play second. And with the shift restrictions, he's going to be more valuable because he has good range. He has gotten better with the contact ability. Before last year where he hit 280 in Rocket City, his high batting average outside of rookie ball was 225. So his his on-base, I'm sorry, his batting average went from a high of 225 to a high, to 281. So genuine growth in his age 22 season on his ability to put a bat on a ball, you know, that contact ability, obviously the walk rate wasn't bad. 24, uh, sorry, 71 walks to 102 strikeouts. So he's taken steps offensively, but the power ceiling's just not there. Like I said, in double A, 362 slugging to 379 on base. And I think ultimately he's probably not going to be an everyday starter because of the lack of the power ceiling. I mean, you're looking, you're projecting out 
a full season in the bigs hitting less than 10 home runs. There are very few players that stick at the major league level who don't have the ability to hit at least double-digit home runs in a season. Uh, I do. I think he's a very valuable piece. You need guys like this on your roster. Uh, they are usually, if they're smart, they're good glue guys in the clubhouse. But then also, again, the plus defense at multiple positions gives you flexibility. These are typically the guys, if disaster happens, you can throw them in a corner outfield spot for a couple innings and they'll get by perfectly fine. But I don't see him as having an above average career at the major league level simply because the offense isn't there. Now, if he comes out and hits 15 home runs next year at the major league level, I will I will eat crow on this. It just doesn't feel like something that's likely to happen. Another guy, Reds outfielder Ariel Almonte. This question was from Bagwell's crew in our Discord. Speaking of, if you have questions for the show, you can drop them in our Discord. Link is in the episode description. Link is in the show notes. We have a, a, a thread just for mailbag questions so we can keep track of them. I go there first when I'm making out the scripts for these Monday shows. But Ariel Almonte, 2021 IFA, 6'4", 190. He has good size. Got 42 games in rookie ball last year. 286, 390, 493. Six home runs, 17 extra base hits, 21 walks to 49 strikeouts, and 101 on stolen bases. He needs to hit. He needs to hit because the speed is kind of iffy. The little bit that I've been able to see, I had him as a 40 speed. Baseball America had him 45 or 50, French to average. But either way, the defense is only kind of average. On the plus, like the arm is plus, big arm. And so you have that going for you. But the big thing here is offensively, the power ceiling is higher, right? So in the DSL in 2017, five home runs slugging a 438. He moves to age 18 to rookie ball. So a little bit higher level of competition. Gets 42 games, uh, hits six home runs, slugging a 493. The stats in those 42 games, 286, 390, 493, six home runs, 17 extra base hits, 21 walks, 249 strikeouts, and exactly one stolen base. Um, the like He has good pitch recognition. He makes good swing decisions. The question is, where does that power end up? Where is that power ceiling? And I think ultimately, where that power ceiling ends up determines where he is ranked ending 2023. Is he a top 20 prospect? Is he a top 15, a top 10? You like the size of the arm. You like the ability to at least be average in a corner outfield spot. Uh, But again, you just need to figure out what that power ceiling is going to be. I like, you know, walked about half the time of his strikeouts. It's fine. Uh, The higher batting average. Like a lot of that, just where is the power ceiling? We need to know that to know overall what is Ariel Almonte going to be? So this year, uh, blow A will be very critical for him. Ideally, you want to see him low A to high A this season. Third guy, Mariners third baseman Tyler Locklear. 2022 second rounder out of VCU. And this question uh, was from VWG Runner, again, in our Discord. Uh, but 63210 and got 29 games in low A. He only had two in rookie ball, so I'm kind of skipping that. 29 games in low A Modesto. He's a Modesto nut here. 282, 353, 504. Seven home runs, 12 extra base hits, seven walks to 29 strikeouts, no stolen base attempts. The stolen base attempts were not there because he is, he's a decent athlete, right? Like he, he, he had offers to go play uh, football in college, uh, but he did baseball instead. And 
the speed isn't necessarily great. Uh, combine that with the arm being somewhere between below average and average at best. I don't see him sticking at third base. The hands don't feel like they're necessarily that smooth on the transfer. His footwork's a little bit messy. It feels like he's a future first baseman. And so, again, he's going to have to hit. Uh, Now, massive, massive power. I considered him as one of the, your power tool is only as good as your hit tool, guys. But just such a small sample size, I really wanted to see him in a full season setting at an age-appropriate level. Again, he was 21 years old. He's out of college. 21 years old at low A last year. Uh, The questions on the hit tool, kind of the same as when he was drafted. It's kind of mechanical stuff, right? So the, the, the actual swing itself, doesn't stay in the strike zone that long. So some of that is is the angle, you know, the 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 bat path. Some of that is the just the mechanics of the swing. So something he needs to kind of work on there because he's got good pitch selection. He's got good uh pitch recognition, choosing when to swing, the swing decisions as far as this is a ball I can damage, this is a ball that's a strike but I can't punish it, so I'm going to let it go. Take that for strike 1. We'll try again. He's good at all of that. It's just a, can you, when you face a better pitcher, when you face better pitchers, again, age-appropriate pitching, that can execute the elevated fastball, can execute a pitch up and in, things like that, he's got to have a mechanically shorter and quicker swing to get to those balls. So that's what I want to see this year. Ideally, high A Everett to double A during 2023 for Tyler Locklear. In just a minute, really interesting question about guys falling out of the top 100 and what to do about that or how to think about that. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Built Bar. Spring training is here, so whether you're going to Florida or to Arizona, this is a road trip. Uh, If you're like me, you eat a ton of junk in the car, right? You eat chips and candy, sodas, pretzels, crackers, popcorn, all of these things that aren't necessarily that healthy for you. And so this year, what you have to do, I'm, I'm making my spring break, my spring break. I'm making my spring training trip in March. We are packing built Bars. So one, they taste good. They hit that same, uh, that same mental thing as candy does, right? All built Bars covered 100% real chocolate. And so it feels like you're eating a candy bar. The flavors are fantastically diverse. Churro, peanut butter brownie, coconut almond, cookies and cream, uh, brownie batter, Tons of fun flavors, but only 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar, so they're healthy for you, and 17 grams of protein. So they hit that that mental thing of you feel full because you have protein. So really good for you. It's the best way to do your road trip. You can go to Built.com, check out all the flavors, grab whatever you want, and then if you run out on your trip, go to your to the closest Walmart or Sam's. If you go to Walmart, you walk to the pharmacy section. You can get a four-bar box of cookies and cream, of double chocolate, or of coconut puff. Or go to Sam's Club and get a 13-bar box of brownie batter and churro. Or order whatever you want, whatever flavors you want, at Built.com. Okay, very interesting question here from our Discord. Uh, FFEJ17. He asked about prospects dropping out of the top 100 and how to feel about that. Do they go? Do some of them go on to have good careers and things like that? So a little context here. If you add in, so every team gets 
around 100, I think it's 180 prospects in the domestic system, right? Divided amongst your, your, your four affiliates and then the complex league. You're allowed to have that many players domestically. And then you have all of the players in the DSL. Those rosters are typically larger. Sometimes you even field two teams. And so your pool of prospects, as in minor leaguers, in the, entire, in the entirety of all 30 organizations is around 7,000 players. Now, you're going to have some of them in AAA who no longer have prospect eligibility. Uh, career 4A players, veterans who have been up and down, things like that. So round it down to 6,500 or so. That means your top 100 list is just a very small sample of the total number of prospects. Is there a really big difference in number 85 and number 90? There's not really. And I think more so than thinking this guy is or is not a top 100 prospect, it's more important to think about why the guy is no longer a top 100 prospect. So MLB Pipeline has their top 100 out. And Oakland A's infielder Zach Gelliff, 2021 second rounder out of Virginia, he was a top 100 guy in 2022. He is not a top 100 guy in 2023. And when you look at uh, what happened, he, he tore a labrum, missed some time last year. He got like nine games in AAA Las Vegas after a good portion of the season at AA Midland. He went to the Arizona Fall League later, but it's something where he didn't necessarily get an opportunity to correct some of the bad things that you saw. So you saw some stuff you didn't love. AA is the biggest jump for most players. Obviously, you start off, a lot of guys start off slow there. By the time he started to recover and rebuild his stats, he got hurt and missed most of the rest of the season. He finished with a high strikeout rate, like 27.5%. Now, the walk rate's good, 11%. But this is something where, because of an injury and because of the sample size before the injury not being great, he got downgraded just enough to fall out of the top 100. Uh, obviously, I still think he's going to be a good prospect. He's playing in the World Baseball Classic. If you want to hear more about the World Baseball Classic, by the way, let us know in the comments on YouTube, on Twitter. I'm at Crosby Baseball, show's at Locked on Farm. Let us know if you want to hear about it, and we can cover more about it on the show. Uh, the flip side of this is guys who drop out of the top 100 due to ineffectiveness. So Baseball America uh, had a handful of guys drop out of their top 100, but I think the biggest drop you saw uh, Rangers pitcher Jack Leiter was a top 50 prospect and he fell all the way out of the top 100. And specifically, when you kind of look at what he did, uh, his first year in the bigs after being drafted out of Vanderbilt, they sent him straight to double A. So very, very aggressive assignment, right? And while he was there, uh, the fastball kind of backed up as far as the movement profile and what it did, it had a pretty steep approach angle in college, looked a little flatter. The movement this itself didn't have as much run, didn't do as much as it did in college. So the fastball backed up and then he struggled to throw strikes. I want to say he came in under 60% strikes, whereas he was better than that in college. So his walk rate went up to about 5.4 walks per nine. And so they backed him up. He also struggled with lefties, which I think goes back to not having as much of that run on the fastball. So that's a scenario where he fell back. He still has a lot of the same tools. If he can improve the fastball and get back to throwing strikes, 
he'll easily come back on the top 100. Not worried about that. Tons of talent. Another guy that dropped, uh, Luis Angel Acuna, who it's, I'm not trying to pick on the Rangers here, just two that happened to pop up really well. He got a slow start to the year because he fouled a ball off his foot, I think. Uh, but he, or no, no, he strained, he strained his hamstring. That's what it was. He strained his hamstring in his very first at-bat. That's what it was. But he fell back for a couple reasons. One, uh, the folks at Baseball America weren't thrilled about the aggressiveness, so they downgraded his hit tool. He, sw- he swings almost every other pitch. It's like 47%. And then the ground ball rate was over 50%. So he's swing, he's very aggressive with the swing and it's suboptimal contact, right? He's got a ton of exit, like he has good above average power. He's getting plenty of exit velo. He's just not putting the ball in the air. And then when you combine that with the fact that because of the arm kind of being below average, they have him as fringy, I've got him at below average, he's going to have to move from shortstop to second base. So offensively, you have questions about the quality of the hit tool. Defensively, you're moving to a less, uh, a less premium position, right? Uh, a, a position with less defensive value, he backs off the top 100. Uh, I still think he's, he has what it takes to be a good major leaguer, has some questions with the approach. But just falling off the top 100, I wouldn't necessarily worry too much about it, provided you can pinpoint why? That's, to me, a little more important than the fact he is or is not a top 100 player. Is there a big difference in number 95 and number 105? Not really. Edward Julian is not a top 100 player. Offensively, he is. Defensively, he doesn't have a position. And so, like, I think he'll be at first base eventually. They've been having him at second. But the lack of the defensive value is what pushes him back a little bit off the top 100. Do I think that he might be better than whoever's number 96? Probably, but it's just such a small margin and it's such a small sample size. I wouldn't worry too much about a guy falling out of the top 100. Final question before we go. Somebody asked me on Twitter and I can't quite find the tweet right now, but he asked me like, you reference strikeouts per nine and walks per nine a lot. Uh, What are good marks for those? And do you adjust them based on the level of competition? So I do keep in mind the level of competition uh, and I reference them a lot because I feel like it's a pretty easy way to explain the quality of a guy's stuff when it comes to strikeouts or his ability to throw strikes when it comes to the walks. So take Andrew Painter, for instance. Andrew Painter last year finished with with, um, walks per nine under two. And the thing there that was illustrative to me is as he moved up through the system, uh, low A, high A, double A, guys who have a really good chase pitch. Guys who, you know, you you get guys to swing and miss because you start a slider in the zone and you take it out of the zone. Sometimes when they move up, the better hitters don't swing as much. And so you'll see the walk rate tick up. So the fact that his ticked down as he went higher in the system was even that much better. And one of the reasons why I feel like his control was legitimately plus Versus somebody where you're kind of, they're kind of getting by relying on the hitter to not be that good. If that makes sense. Uh, Strikeouts per nine, kind of a similar situation. It helps illustrate uh, how good a guy's stuff is. And so you'll see some guys when they're at like double A, their strikeouts per, per nine are under nine. So less averaging less than one strikeout an inning. And that really tells you that it's, that's the type of guy that's going to get by at the major league level 
on inducing weak contact versus a guy who has a 12 strikeouts per nine or something like that where his stuff is just so good, you're going to swing and miss. And it's kind of illustrative of what type of player that guy's going to be at the bigs. And this is, again, assuming he makes it. We just assume guys are going to make it when we talk about them on the show. Uh, and, and so like that's why I like to use those because they're really, they help paint a picture of the skill level of the guy's stuff without having been able to see the guy's stuff because this is obviously the main format of the show uh, is an audio podcast. Shout out to the people on YouTube who keep telling me, hey, you should put highlights on this. It's 90% of our audience is audio. So that's why we do it like this. A reminder, if you have questions for the show, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball, show's on Twitter at Locked on Farm. You can email us, LockedOnMLBProspects at gmail.com, or again, drop your questions in the Locked on MLB Prospects Discord. Link is in the episode description. Link is in the show notes. Until tomorrow's show, this has been Locked on MLB Prospects.